So, um, Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So the question, the premise today that I want to start us with is, what is the main business of the church? What's the main business of the church? It is to bring glory to God, first and foremost. John eleven four 4 says, Jesus said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified for it. Romans eleven thirty six says, For from Him and through Him and to Him all things to Him to be the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Philippians 2.11 says, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So glory, bringing glory to God, is the mission, is the main business of the church. And so how do we bring? What brings the most glory to God? Save souls. Save souls show us who God is. Right? And in fact, we read in Luke 15.10, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Romans 10.1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, because nothing brings more glory to God than saved souls. So how are souls saved? By hearing the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also the Gentile. Romans 10.17 says, For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So how will they hear, they be in the lost world, how will they hear the gospel? Acts 1.8. Anselm, put that one up please. Absalom 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. Now what I want us to do is I want us to take a minute and look at this, look at this verse and look at a couple of words here. We see the word you used three times. So the first you we know is an individual because what's it say? It says, when the Holy Spirit has come, I'm sorry, but when you receive power, right? So that's it from the Holy Spirit. Well, we receive power individually, not corporately. We receive power individually at the moment of salvation. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, the Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Now I think that you is a plural. So that would be you as an individual, but also we, you as a church. So read that again. So it says, when I receive the power of the Spirit that has come upon me, then we shall be His witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. So there's a corporate call there, not just an individual call, to do that. Every born-again believer is to be a witness for Christ and fulfill the Great Commission wherever you are and whatever you are doing. But God gives some a special call to full-time Christian work, which includes becoming a local foreign homebound or foreign missionary. So what is a missionary? You know, the word mission or missionary are not used in the Scriptures. 
And we call it, we call Paul's first or second or third missionary journey, but that's not what they called it. The word mission is, comes from a Latin word, which means to send. So therefore, a missionary is one who is sent. So a missionary then is sent for what? To proclaim the gospel. A.W. Tozer said that the book of Acts, which is where our main text will be today, the book of Acts is a constant indictment of mere maintenance Christianity. It is a constant goad and encouragement and stimulation to, flan, to, to fan the flame of Advent. For Jesus the, Christ, the Son of Man, has come to seek and save the lost. Well, if He came to seek and save the lost, and there's a lost and dying world out there, then it is indictment on us that we don't get caught up in this maintenance Christianity. In fact, what Tozer said was it's a constant goad and encouragement and stimulation. You know what a goad is? A goad is a long stick with a point on the end of it. Think of it as an old-fashioned cattle prod. So sometimes what that tells us is sometimes in my life as a Christian, sometimes I need, it says encouragement, stimulation, but sometimes I need a goad. Like get out of your comfort zone. Get going. Get doing things for the kingdom. We are always in danger of slipping into a maintenance mentality in the church. And what I mean by that is that we focus on maintaining and preserving our traditions and we forget about the lost. And it's so easy to do in a church like ours, I believe, because we come together, we have a great family of believers here, and we can get internally focused. Now, we do need some internal focus because we need to grow and mature our faith. That's clearly part of it. But at the same time, the goal of the church is to bring glory to God. And if the, the way to bring glory to God is to have souls saved, and the way the souls are saved is when we proclaim the gospel to people, then we got to come back to what our mission is. We somehow think the church is here for us. And what we forget is, we're the church. We are the church. It's not this building. It's us together. And we are the church, and we're here for one reason, for the lost world. To build people up, to encourage them, to mature them, to grow them in their spiritual faith, to where they, are, they, they see the goal of the mission of taking the gospel to the lost and dying world. That's what we're here about. The main goal of evangelism and missions is not simply to reach the lost, but it's to bring glory to God. You see, that's what we're supposed to do. We bring glory to God by how we act and how we live and by how we share the gospel with people because then it comes in, or in, in this instance, where we're supporting missions. He saves sinners, it says in Ephesians 1, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Think about that. He saves sinners to the praise of of the glory of His grace. That's where I know that God is about glory and bringing glory comes, bring glory to Him comes from sinners that are saved and then they do what? They praise the glory of the fact that He had so much grace that He looked down at us as sinners and said, you're everything against me, but yet I love you. And so when He does that, that's what that means in Ephesians. The goal of every local church and every individual Christian should be to operate, I believe, as closely to the New Testament patterns that were set for us in Acts and the other books as well. But Acts is a history book. It shows us how that's done. So are we ready to accept the fact that God inspires not just doctrine but methods? how we do things. So in other words, we go and we, we, we read about Paul and how he went and when he went to a new town and how he went to the synagogue and how he proclaimed the gospel, oftentimes talking about 
simple. It wasn't high doctrine. He talked about who he was, who Jesus was, and who he became. That's it. So we learn patterns, not just doctrine from the scriptures. And so when when we're willing to do that, then we say, okay, if we ought to understand about missions, let's see what God's word says about missions. So starting with our text and continuing throughout the book of Acts, it becomes obvious that the local church at Antioch was the basic place, the basic unit from which the first organized missionary group went out. And that's what we're going to read here in in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Can't read that. Now there was at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, uh, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, this is Paul and Barnabas, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So that's the main part of our text today that we're going to look at. So um, mission principles as we go forward. The study of Acts, we conclude that God ordained the local church, this is what this is, the local church, to be the primary base for missions. So if that's what he ordained in Acts and we believe that he sets methods and patterns in his scriptures that we're to follow, what that means is that missions, the primary base unit of missions, is the local church. We need to be sending people out and supporting people. And oftentimes we think of these, I call them uh, parachurch organizations, Ethnos 360, uh, Campus Crusade, all of those. You think, oh, those people are the ones that send them out. No, not really. I mean, they're the ones that they can train them and do them, but, but all of those people get support from local churches. So when we support, when we, when we have missions as a focus and we support missionaries, we're fulfilling, I believe, what God has called us to do. The main business of the church is to obey the Holy Spirit in promoting God's glory among the nations by sending out workers called by God. So we have these people that have said, I have felt this call on my, on my life from the Lord himself to go out. How will they get out? They get out to the world through our support. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about today. Missions must be given a primary place in every Christian and a primary place in the local church. Acts 13 sets the stage for a major shift. So up until, so Acts chapter 1 through 12 is talking about the establishment of the early church and doctrinal issues and, and, and were Gentiles allowed in and all that. And then you get to 13 through the end of the chapter, through the end of the book, which is chapter 28, I think. So you got all these books, 16 books of, of what? Of missions, of how missions were done, what they were all about, how they were established. And so what we do is we look at that and we say, well, we must have that pattern, 16 chapters on missions. So if we want to know about missions, all we got to do is go to the last half of the book of Acts. It's the story of the, missionary, the, missionary, the missionaries going out from Antioch, because if you read even on the, Paul's missionary journeys, he leaves from Antioch and he comes back to Antioch. He leaves from Antioch, and that's what we'll, we'll talk about today. The gospel goes out to the Gentile territory when when he does that. So what we want to look at today is two things from our text is what is the role of the Holy Spirit in missions and what is the role of the church in missions? And hopefully that will encourage us to see that we can play a part in this great, great endeavor that's going out. 
So, first, let's look. What's the Holy Spirit's role in the church, over the church as far as missions? Well, there's several. The Holy Spirit speaks, and He does not give suggestions. Look at the text, 13.2. He says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work for which I have called them. Set apart. He doesn't give suggestions. He didn't say, hey, if y'all think it's a decent idea, I was thinking maybe we ought to get Paul and Barnabas together. No, he said set them apart for it. So what he does is he tells the leaders what to do, and then they obey, because we see that in verse 4. It says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit to do that. Luke notes that Barnabas and Paul were what? Sent out by the Spirit. So if the Spirit's the one, the Holy Spirit's the one who sent them out, what did the church do? The church facilitated it. That's where facilitators of missions on that. Other than the fact that individually we're called to be missionaries, we're called to share the gospel with people. So what we see there first, the Holy Spirit is, uh, was um, uh, told them what to do. Second, the Holy Spirit is sovereign in initiating the work. The idea of missions originates with God, not with man. You don't say, I think I'm going to go and be a missionary. No, God says, I want you to go and be a missionary. On it. The idea of world missions originates with God, not man. That's why he said, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. If the cause for world missions originates with God, and we're supposed to obey his directive, the question is, are we seeking to? So if missions come from God individually and corporately, are we in tune to missions? Or is that just something that kind of happens over there? That Yeah, some people get called to go overseas or get called to work at Wycliffe, Bible translators here in, in Central Florida. And yeah, that's what they do, but we're, that's not for us. I would disagree. Third, the Holy Spirit is sovereign over calling workers. So this occasion wasn't the first time that Paul and Barnabas had felt a call in their lives. In fact, Barnabas had already responded in obedience. He's in Antioch because God called him to leave Jerusalem and go to start the church and go to support the church in Antioch. When he got to Antioch, the church was growing and growing and growing. He said, you know, I'm pretty good at this, but Barnabas is known as an encourager. He said, I need a real good teacher. And so he went to Tarsus and found his buddy Paul and brought Paul down to start teaching. And then so as they're working together in ministry for a year or two, then God said, looks down and says, set them apart and send them out. Paul was the same way. Paul, in chapter 22, God says, I will send you away to the Gentiles. He knew what he was doing, so they were used to this call on their lives, and then they were obeying the Spirit when he spoke to them again. So the Holy Spirit is sovereign over missions. He's sovereign over calling workers. And lastly, he's sovereign over directing the work. The Spirit had a constant work, in, a, a distinct work in mind for Paul and Barnabas. He said uh, in uh, chapter 9, verse 15, it says, to hear the name, his name, Jesus, before the Gentiles and kings and the children's of it, children of Israel. They knew what they were called to do. Before these men left Antioch, what were they doing? They were fasting and praying. They were seeking the Lord's direction in this. So from start to finish, we see the Holy Spirit through all of this is the one who's initiating the missions. So if the Holy Spirit, his directive is, I want you involved in missions, and that's to the church, then we have to ask ourselves individually and corporately, what are we doing about missions? Because God has clearly called the church to be a part of, to be the primary focus of missions throughout the world. So now let's look at what's the role of the church. What are we supposed to do? Um, these five leaders that we see in, in verse 1. So we, we've got Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Manian 
um, and Paul. And so what are they doing? They represent, when you read those names, they're the leaders of the church there, but they represent the church as a whole. Um, they were setting examples, right? But they, and they were a diverse bunch because look at the diversity of just these men. Okay, we know Barnabas and Paul were, were devout Jews. That, we know that for a fact. Simeon is from sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is modern-day Libya. And then Manan is European. So look at the diversity within that group of leaders, which would tell us that there was diversity within the church itself. And so when we look, when you read these, don't think about it as, while. so read verse 2. It says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, while they were ministering. So it's not just what leadership wants. It's that the whole group was coming together. So um, Sim, um, what we see in verse 2 when it says that they were ministering to the Lord and fasting when the Holy Spirit came upon them shows us what? Intentionality. They were seeking God for what they needed. And fasting, why do you fast? Well, we fast for two reasons. We fast because Jesus said to. Jesus said, when you fast, which implies we should. But fasting in the scriptures is always used almost always used, in a time when you're seeking direction from the Lord or you got a big issue that you need to deal with, you fast for a time so that the Lord can come to you and, and speak to you about it. So these Christians, they weren't in maintenance mode, right? Maintenance mode, they wouldn't have been fasting and praying. They would have just been encouraging each other, being around each other. But instead, they were actively seeking God's will. In other words, what they were saying in their prayers while they were coming together is, hey, guys, we need to fast and pray about the Lord's direction for our church here in Antioch. And as they were doing that, we'll talk about what that looked like. The fact that they were serving, look, they were serving when they received a word from God. They were ministering to the Lord while they were performing their spiritual gifts. Christ came to them, the Holy Spirit came to them. They were being faithful and exercising their gift, and that's when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. See, we always want, oh God, show me what to do. But we don't want to seek him to find it out. We just want to be walking down the street one day and boom, it comes to us. It doesn't work that way. In order to use us, God, he has to conform us first. And how does he conform us? When we seek him through the study of his word, through prayer, through interactions with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that would look like, I sense God calling me to do this, or I sense God wants me in this. I need your prayer with me so that I can determine, is it really me? Am I recognizing God's call for my life, or is it just my idea? And then we, so when we come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we do that, then they get the word from us. And their word may be, yeah, I think that is where God's calling you to serve. Or it may be, I don't feel comfortable with that right now. Let's get somebody else together and pray over it. All ministry, first and foremost, should be to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said, set them apart. While they were doing that, these men were devoted to the Lord. It's interesting. It says that they were ministering to the Lord. What does that mean? It's kind of an Old Testament thing. The priest is ministering to the Lord by doing the things. The implication here is that it says while they were ministering to the Lord, the they in verse 2 is not just these five guys. I think it's the church in, in all. So God called, think about this. God called two men out of the five to go. And he called three men out of the five to stay. Both groups know they were in the will of God. They were, so Paul and Barnabas were goers. They were going out to the mission field. And so what does that make the other three men? Senders. 
They were senders. They were sending out. And to the Lord, the senders are just as precious as the goers. And they have a responsibility as well. God calls some of his people to full-time missionary work. He calls others of us to stay home and pray and give to missions that the gospel can go forward. Just because God hasn't called you into the mission field, full-time mission field, doesn't mean we're not part of it. I read this great quote, and I don't know who it was from, but it sounded good. It said, there are only three possibilities in the life of a Christian when it comes to missions. You're a goer, you're a sender, or you're disobedient. Let that sink in. I read that, and I went, oh, that hurts. What that means is we've got a job to do. Acts 13, 47 says, Paul here in, in Acts 13, 47 is quoting from Isaiah uh, 49, and he says, For thus says the Lord, thus the Lord has, here, watch this word, commanded us, not suggested to us, but commanded us. I have appointed you as a light to the Gentiles. This is about Jesus. He's proclaiming that he's, he's foretelling of Jesus as the Messiah, as a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. That's Isaiah proclaiming that the Messiah is coming. And what is the Messiah going to do? I've, he's been appointed as a light to the Gentiles so that he may, J Jesus may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So the point is, if Christ is the light to the Gentiles and salvation to the end of the earth, which it says he is, then Christians are commanded to go and take the light of the gospel to the end of the earth. Why? So that men may be saved to bring glory to God. Don't lose the end game. The end game is to bring glory to God. The end game isn't about sending people out. The end game is that they accomplish their mission by, save, by, by souls being saved because of their sacrifice that they do so God again can be, have the glory. And since the Holy Spirit is sovereign over the church, to be, obey, uh, to be obedient to the sovereign church, we have to serve where we're planted and be diligent in our prayers and our study of the word so that we can glorify God among the nations by sending people out. That's why missions, I believe, is so important. So if as a church we're supposed to follow the pattern of the, Old, of the New Testament church in Acts, then how do we as a group, individually and as a group, how do we facilitate the sending out? What's it mean to facilitate sending out missionaries? Um, our text says the Holy Spirit gave them directions, set apart for me. Then they fasted and prayed. So we have to take heed. Now, look, as we read Acts, go back, uh, Anselm, go back to Acts uh, 13, please. As we read that, don't read these four verses in a vacuum. And what I mean by that is read them, you can't read them two-dimensionally, you've got to read them three or four-dimensionally. So Paul, in Acts chapters 13 and 14, that's where they're on their first missionary journey. And that's all the way out and all the way back. Two and a half years, two and a half to three years is how long that took. And they covered like 1,400 miles. So you can read Acts chapters 13 and 14 in probably 10 minutes. But yet it took almost three years to transpire. So when we look at these verses and we see that these men and teachers, they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And the Spirit said, and then when they had fasted and prayed, and again, verse, 13, verse 3, the they is the church. So these four verses didn't happen in an afternoon. Couldn't have. Because otherwise, how would the context of two chapters happening over three years make sense? 
And we know how the pattern of the church was set. So it was while these men were ministering to the Lord and fasting that the Holy Spirit came and said, set apart for me. And they said, oh, we got to set Paul and Barth. So what you got to do is you got to read, as Conrad says, you read, read in color, read into the story. So what would they have done? What they would have done is they heard that, they would have called the congregation together and said, as these five leaders came up and said, we have been fasting and praying, and the Lord spoke to us through the Holy Spirit that we are to set apart Barnabas and Paul and send them out. And so we don't know where yet, we don't know what's going on yet, but we need you in prayer. So the, the they, in verse 3, when they had fasted in prayer, so you know what they did? They called on a church-wide fast and said, we want to seek the Lord. And we want to make sure that what we as leadership feel like the Lord is telling us, that you confirm that with us. By praying. So what you have to look at in these, really, verses 1 through 3 is that they spent time. I mean, it could have been a week. It could have been two months, three months. And so how did they facilitate it? I promise you, they were praying over Paul and Barnabas. They were praying for direction on where to go. Lord, give Paul and Barnabas encouragement to go on this mission. It's going to be tough. We don't know where they're going. Remember, God didn't lay the plan out and say, hey, man, I want you to go here, then there, then there, then there, then there. Oh, I have my itinerary and my maps. No, he just said go. And he went. It's kind of like Philip. Remember Philip when he was in Samaria? He had the great mission in Samaria. He was preaching and people were getting saved everywhere. And then the Lord came to him and said, Philip, get up on the road, headed out of Jerusalem. Get up and go. And next verse says, Philip got up and went. He didn't say where he was going. God didn't say go. See, I'd have been like, well, wait a minute. Where do you want me to go, Lord? Is it going to be cold? Is it going to be hot? Do I need to pack a lot of food? Do I need, what do I need to do? You know what I mean? Put yourself in the story. Philip got up and went, man. Grabbed his cloak and headed out. And as he was on the road, all of a sudden, here's this Ethiopian come by in a chariot because he was willing to get up and go. So what they did was they, in verse 3, the church prayed over Saul and Barnabas. And they encouraged them. And they said, man, you know what? And I know they said this. We'll be praying for you while you're on your mission trip. And they weren't even getting reports back. I mean, we just got a report from the other side of the world. Live streamed. And they were going to do that. So when we look at this eye, this day, I love it. So the church facilitated them. One of the other things, now, they got up. It says when they left, they, got, they went to Seleucia and then they sailed for Cyprus. Uh, I don't know. I, it I doesn't say... Paul had a boat, which means they probably had to pay to get on a boat to sail somewhere. So what did they, what's, how did they facilitate it? They prayed for him. I suspect then they also raised money. So they would have the, they would have, so when they got to wherever they were going, they could buy some food or buy, get a, get a place to stay or whatever they were doing. We know later on, Paul was a tent maker and he did some things. But the idea was they facilitated by prayer, by fasting, by continual prayer, and by giving. So, um, are we committed to pray and support missionaries? Two years they were gone. So what we did, and, and, and I know there's a lot of folks that are newer here, and I want to kind of camp out here for a few minutes to talk about this. We, we, we started in, I think it was in May, uh, an idea called Faith Promise Giving, which was to give for missions outside of your normal giving, and we put a missions team together who is vetting missionaries that then we can support. And we're rough, round numbers. We had a commitment of about $3,000 a month that we can then send out to our, to use to support missionaries. And we've picked up some that we're supporting. We frankly got a ton of money. 
in, mission, in our missions budget right now. And I don't think it's good for it to be sitting there. So the mission team is working on that. But part of what they do is they vet them, and then they bring them towards us, to us, right? You've seen them come in, right? Steve Howe with ZimZam came and presented what his ministry was. We voted to support him. That's how we did. Todd Brain with, uh, with Wycliffe, he came, he and Tia came and talked about their ministry and what it did. And the, the, the ministry or the mission team said, we think y'all ought to support this as a church. We came along and we decided to support it. But I'm going to tell you right now, giving money to missions is the easiest thing to do. I don't care whether you're giving a dollar or a thousand bucks. It's easy to do. What's needed is prayer. What's needed is encouragement. For these folks, whether they're local missionaries or foreign missionaries. So how do I know that? Well, let's go to the first missionary, Paul, and let's look at the scriptures. And I'll give you my opinion. I'll tell you what the word says. And let's look what Paul said about prayer as he's on these missions. And y'all know, remember what happened to Paul, right? I mean, he wasn't staying in the five-star hotels, uh, he was beaten, he was arrested, he was whipped, he was uh, all kinds of things. He was drug out for dead, stoned to death. They stoned him in Lystra, thought he was dead, drug him out and threw him on the trash heap outside the city, assuming he was dead. And you know what Paul did? He got up, dusted himself off, and kept going. And so let's look at some verses, and Anselm will start pulling these up one at a time, um, to, to look at non-financial support of missionaries. Philippians 1.19, the Apostle Paul said, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. Hmm. And the provision of the Spirit of Christ. So he's got problems, and now he's saying, I need your prayers. I know I'm going to be delivered. And remember, Paul, Philippians is a prison epistle, which means Paul was writing this from prison. So, I don't know about you, I've never been in prison, but I don't think prison is a great place to be. And so, he's in prison, and listen to what he says. Yes, and I will rejoice. I, I'm rejoicing while I'm in prison. Here's what he said. I will rejoice while I'm in prison, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance from prison through your prayers and the provision of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, you look and say, well, yeah, if, the, if, God, if the God wants to get you out of jail, he'll provide for that. He says, well, I know God will provide this provision, but it's through your prayers. Do we not think God hears our prayers? Do we not think God can, can, can do things because of our prayers? Look at Philemon 1.22. He says, at the same time, also prepare for me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Through your prayers. So here's Paul, and again, back in prison, right? And remember, Philemon was a leader of a church that he had helped establish. And then this guy, um, uh, Onesimus, comes along. He runs away. It's a, it's a great story. But Paul says, man, look, through your prayers, I want to come to you. I hope I'm going to get out of prison and come to you through your prayers. Romans 15, 30 through 32 says, Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me, in your prayers to God for me. So here's this great apostle Paul constantly saying, I need your prayers. I need your prayers through this. Uh, in fact, he goes on to say, and I find refreshing rest in your company when I get back. So he says, I know that when I come back to you, I'm going to be refreshed by your company. So that therefore, I've got the, the, I've got the stamina to go do this again. 
because you pray for me. Corinthians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of our number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. So if we take that verse and we flip it around, so Epaphras, who's a, who's a missionary, establishing churches, doing all these things, and he's one of us, and it says he sends you his prayers. What's, he, what's this guy doing for, for, for the church? He is laboring earnestly in his prayers. Why? That everything would be great for us? Health, wealth, and all that? No. That you may stand perfect and fully assured in all, in all the will of God. So wouldn't we, if that's what he was praying for us, shouldn't we turn that back around and that would be a prayer for our missionaries? That they would stand firm and perfect and fully assured in the will of God. Why do they need to do that? We'll come back to that in a second. Finally, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 2, it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it has also with you and that we will be rescued from this perverse and evil men for not all come to faith. So what do we learn there about Paul? He's in a place and he's writing this church and he says, things aren't going very well for me, man. Look, that I'm going to be rescued from these perverse and evil men that are trying to shut my ministry down. So these perverse and evil men trying to shut his ministry down. And so what's he say? Pray for us that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified. So in other words, so it grows just as it did with you because the church at Thessalonica grew very rapidly and was known as really a solid church. She said, I need your prayers to intervene with God for me so that these perverse and evil men who are hampering my ministry won't. So what do we learn from that? We figure out that missionaries are no different than we are. They, they need encouragement because they get discouraged. Dennis and Jeannie Best, Dennis going home to be with the Lord. Jeannie's out of town right now. Went years in the foreign mission field without a convert. You think that got discouraging? You bet. But if we want to model ourselves off of the New Testament church in Acts then we will assume that our missionaries, whether they're home missionaries or foreign missionaries, get discouraged. I mean, you don't think we're reading this morning in small group. By the way, I can never stand up here without encouraging you. What are you doing at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings? You ought to be in a small group across the way. It's where we dive into the Word. You really grow your faith. You get to know people and build relationships. It's so important. And we got a lot of different classes, so I really encourage you to be part of that. All right, back to the story. Back to the story. Um, I have a class too. No. Um, so mission work is tough. It can be tough. It can be frustrating. It can be disappointing, just like everything else. But imagine if you're halfway around the world and you're, you're by yourself or you're with a team. You've got one or two or three people, right? Paul says, Paul showed us by example uh, that they need our prayers. And so often, that's why I said at the beginning, if we're in maintenance Christianity, we're inward focused. We need to be outward focused. And we need to be supporting those people. So I think based on these verses, that, is a that the responsibility of us senders is as vital to the mission field as it is the goers. I, I don't see how you can see it any other way. So are we committed to this responsibility? We have missionaries that, you know, what, what, what they need to become, instead of, instead of them being missionaries, we need to start focusing on them as our missionaries, my missionary, 
You know what? I get to support my missionary. I'm praying for our missionaries right now. That's when it gets real, when you start thinking about it. Now, what I want to do is, I'm going to use two examples of that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use two examples. One's from old veteran missionaries, been in the field for a while. All right? That's Stephen and Carolyn Crockett. And here's their prayer request. It just came out a few days ago. Listen to this. To get the Moy Bible to the printers in September and Bible shipped back to Moy by December, we, are officially, we have officially chosen January 4, 2024 as Bible Dedication Day. Please pray that the Lord will bring everything together. You get, that's feet, man. That's hands and feet on stuff. You get a real prayer from somebody. But let's read the rest of the report. Praise that the first... Pray, here's a praise from the Crockett's. The final consultant check of the Moy Bible will be completed, uh, was completed last month. That's a praise. Pray for the five Moy that are helping Stephen do, doing read-throughs to catch spelling and grammatical errors in the Moy Bible. Pray for Stephen as he does a final edit, especially on earlier books translated. Pray for Moy girls not to get pulled from school and sold as young brides. That'd be a good prayer for a mother, huh? Hmm. Pray, watch this, veterans, been in the field a long time. Pray that Stephen and I will engage well and finish strong. Wow. Landed in Moy. No language. Figured it out. Built relationships. Heard a verbal language. Converted it to words. And on the cusp of printing a New Testament in their own language. We're part of it. Well, don't you want to be part of it? Pray for it. You can pray for that, that, that this Bible is ready to be dedicated. Lord, let everything come together. That's putting hands and feet. You don't think they need your prayers. They just ask for them. Okay, now let's shift gears. Let's shift gears to somebody who's been in the mission field about six months. Kemi Jalbert with Compassionate Hope. Here was her prayer request from a couple of months ago. Pray for my heart in this transition. Listen to the pray for us to finish well. Listen to this. Pray for my heart in this transition. There is so much joy in following the Lord and in loving and receiving his love through his people, but also sadness in the goodbyes. I feel that reality is beginning to set in. You see, when I read that, then I think, I bet Stephen and Carolyn had that same feeling six months in. Reality was sitting, it was sinking in. She goes on and says, pray for wisdom. As I juggle school and ministry and everyday life, I want to use my time wisely for the sake of the king and his kingdom. Man, look at that. If that doesn't motivate you, school, by the way, is language school. She's learning the Thai language. So she says, I pray for me that I use my time wisely for the sake of the king and his kingdom. Listen to this. She goes on. Pray for my continued revelation of God's love for me. I know this is an endless frontier, and my soul longs for more freedom to love and to be poured out for those around me. It's a real mission real missionaries that we support financially. But man, I want us to really support them in prayer and encouragement. You think that they could use a letter, a note? I tell you right now, the notes that y'all have given to Megan, my wife Megan, and my daughter Abby, the notes of encouragement, unbelievable, unbelievable what they do to them. On their worst days, they take those. What if we did the same thing for our missionaries? You send them a note. So as you pray for them, the Holy Spirit says, send Steve Howell a note. 
Send Todd Brain a note of encouragement. Maybe he's discouraged today, you don't know. So we'll, we'll, we'll close with this. God's ultimate goal is for his glory. And we'll pull two scripture references. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 46.11 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted or I will be glorified among the nations. I will be glorified in the earth. That's the Lord. Thus, salvation is not God's ultimate goal, but rather a means to his goal of glorifying himself. Don't miss that. The salvation is not God's ultimate goal, right? Rather, it's a means to the goal of glorifying himself. God will be glorified on the earth when the gospel is preached to the nations. In fact, Revelation, uh, Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says, this is, this is a heavenly chorus singing these words. Worthy are you to take the book and to break the seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest for our God, and they will reign upon the earth. When the church preaches the gospel to the nations, God will use it to save souls, to bring glory to his name. Missions are not the ultimate goal of the church. The glory of God is the ultimate goal of the church because it's God's ultimate goal. So we align ourselves with his goal for what we do. So let's keep the main business in focus. The main business is to obey the Holy Spirit in promoting God's glory among the nations by sending out workers called to preach the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 9, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Tells us, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Aaron, y'all come up. So I hope this is encouraging to you. It was, it, it, it's, been a, it's been a real encouragement for me as we've been studying through these missions in Acts. And it, and it reminded me of my inadequate prayers for our missionaries and our mission team who is dedicated to vetting missions so that we can take the gospel out. We've got the money, right? And so pray that new missionaries would, would come to us that need support and that we could figure out, we could pray as a, corporately, pray as a group, that we could figure out, is this where you want us to spend your money, Lord? And these are the people we want to support. And don't forget about our missionaries. In fact, over in the fellowship hall, when you first walk in the door, there's a bulletin board on the right-hand side that Susan Stewart has done a great job of all of the different missions we support are there. You see it. You see it. So a great thing to do is take your phone over there, snap a picture of it. That way you got it. You can remember and make them part of your prayer life, right? Think about what do you want me to do for our individual missionaries this coming week, this coming month? And then get in prayer, fast if you need to, and see where the Lord will lead us. Well, you do believe that God will answer that prayer, don't you? I do. I do. I really earnestly do. So let us pray. Father, we're thankful for this time and opportunity and the encouragement out of this mission. We see these men in prayer. We see them in fasting. We see a church come together, lay hands on them and send them out, Lord. What a glorious thing, sending people out to praise your name, to bring glory to you by hearing of saints being, of people being saved, Lord, 
as they go out. So Father, I ask us that you would encourage us in this endeavor, that we would remember all of our missionaries, Lord. We would love on them. We would support them in how you want us to support them, financially, in prayer, in encouragement, whatever we need to do. And Lord, you would give us through our mission team and through this church, Lord, an opportunity to absolutely blanket the earth in missionaries. And they would not be just your missionaries, but they would be our missionaries as well. Ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, if you are here today and you do not know what, what we've been talking about, what is this idea of salvation? And what do these missionaries do? Because you don't understand, what does it mean to be saved? Um, what we'll do is, while Aaron and the team play, uh, we'll give you a minute to come down. And if, uh, if the Lord is talking to you about the fact that you are not saved and that you need to know him, please come down here and see me. Let's talk about that. And if there's anything you need to pray about, come down here and pray. The altar's open. And um, we'll take just a minute.